We've been walking through this story of Joshua. We're going to pick it up again today. This comes from Joshua chapter 10. I'm going to start at verse 7. Now, this has some hard words in it, which is why Jacob asked to have somebody read it for him. So you're going to notice when those hard words come up that I'm just going to pretend like I know how to say them. So just go with me. So Joshua marched up from Gilgal with his entire army, including all the best fighting men. The Lord said to Joshua, do not be afraid of them. I have given them into your hand. Not one of them will be able to withstand you. After an all-night march from Gilgal, Joshua took them by surprise. The Lord threw them into confusion before Israel, so Joshua and the Israelites defeated them completely at Gibeon. Israel pursued them along the road going up to Beth Horon and cut them down all the way to Azekah and Makkadah. As they fled before Israel on the road down from Beth Horon and Azekah, the Lord hurled large hailstones down on them, and more of them died from the hail than were killed by the swords of the Israelites. On the day the Lord gave the Amorites over to Israel, Joshua said to the Lord in the presence of Israel, Sun, stand still over Gibeon, and you, moon, over the valley of Aijalon. So the sun stood still, and the moon stopped, till the nation avenged itself on its enemies, as it is written in the book of Jashar. The sun stopped in the middle of the sky and delayed going down about a full day. There's never been a day like it before or since, a day when the Lord listened to a human being. Surely the Lord was fighting for Israel. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. All right, good morning. It's good to see you. My name is Jacob. I'm one of the, the pastors here. Let's give it up for Mark on that scripture reading. That was unbelievable, man. I just want to jump right in, okay? I just, want to, I just want to jump right in. Joshua was totally ready to give up. And if you've been here the last couple of weeks, you're thinking, what, Joshua, the one who was told to be strong and courageous? Yes. The one who was told that he would uh, go into the land that God had promised? Yes. Some of you have been here, we've seen Joshua go across the Jordan River, it parted, he went across on dry land, and that Joshua who saw the walls come down in Jericho, that Joshua was ready to give up when he found himself in the middle of a battle. And I bring that up because some of us here this morning are in the middle of something, right? That may very much feel like a battle. There are those of us here this morning that are in the middle of divorce or in in the middle of depression or right in the middle of grief. Uh, How how many of us are just like, just right in the middle of being tired all the time? And it feels like, somebody raise their hand, yeah. And, And it feels just like a battle. The story we're looking at today is for those of you who are in the middle of something. So chapter 7, a few chapters back from what Mark just read, Joshua's army is being chased, okay? They're not defeated. I want to be clear about that. The army has not been defeated, but they have been, they are running, <laughs> running for their lives. They came to a city called Ai, A-I is how it's spelled, and, and they eventually are being chased away from those walls. And in the midst of that chase, 36 of Joshua's men are killed. So Joshua, this new commander, imagine he's been given this new rank, this new job, and he, he's, he's done some pretty amazing things, but he hasn't really been into battle yet, and his first kind of in the midst of the battle, 36 of his men are gone. And it's, it's right there uh, in that place, uh, verse 5 of chapter 7, it says, they chased the Israelites from the city gate as far as the stone quarries and struck them down at the slopes. At this time, the hearts of the people melted in fear and became like water. Don't raise your hand, but how many of you this morning came in and your heart 
is just sort of melted and become like water. And this is what Joshua said. Joshua, the one who was told, you're brave, you're strong, right? This is what Joshua said to God. He said, alas, sovereign Lord. Alas is sort of like, what's up, sovereign Lord? Or like, what in the world are you up to, sovereign Lord? He's more formal. He says, alas, sovereign Lord. Why did you ever bring this people across the Jordan to deliver us into the hands of the Amorites to destroy? If you're sitting there wondering if Joshua is really asking, why did God bring them into the promised land? The answer is yes. He said, if only we had been content to stay on the other side of the Jordan. Pardon your servant, Lord. Ever hear someone say, like, excuse me? Pardon your servant, Lord. What can I say now that Israel has been routed by its enemies? And then in verse 9, Joshua begins to sort of predict the future. Before, he was allowing God to give him the future, but now he's predicting the future. He says, the Canaanites and the other people of the country will hear about this, and they will surround us and wipe out your name from the earth. What then will you do for your own great name? God had told Joshua to be strong and courageous. This kind of banner that we've been carrying, you are brave, you are strong, you are known, you are loved, and now he has forgotten who he was. In the middle of the battle, we can forget who we are. If you come here in the middle of something this morning, um, you could be in danger of forgetting who you are. And in the middle of the battle, we can shrink the vision. You see, once you start fighting, everything changes. Once you start struggling, once you start every day, you know, some of you, you, know, you know, I'm not talking about like you, you got a little, a little struggle this afternoon. I'm talking about you, you're struggling every day. Every moment feels like a struggle. In the midst of that, we get tired and we forget who we are and then we start wanting to make what God has said about us smaller and smaller and smaller in the hopes that maybe we can control it and keep our arms around it. In the middle of the battle, you're concerned, or all you're concerned with is the battle. <laughs> that sounds really obvious, but I want to tell you why I, I put it like that. It, it makes sense, right? You're fighting for your life. The name of the game is survival. So if you're in a battle, all you're concerned with is the battle. But God told you something bigger than just the battle. God told you that you're going to be a conqueror. God told you that you're going to be brave. And then what we start doing is start making it smaller and smaller. We'd be a few minutes into the fight and we're dreaming about the other side of the Jordan River. Um, this can happen just in a, in a normal day where we can just get consumed with all the things that are happening, all the things that we're struggling with. On Monday night, uh, my wife Rachel came home and she told me that all the lights on her van had come on, like the ones that tell you that things are wrong. All of them were on. So we were just kind of talking about that. And we were talking about a plan for how we would get it to the mechanic. And at our place, it's like, a, you know, we're, we are like, Rachel and I are like Uber drivers for our kids. And so, you, you know, losing the van, we had to organize all this stuff just to figure out how we'd take the van to the shop. And in the midst of that, we realized that our dishwasher went out. And so the dishwasher at that moment trumped the van. So even though it had lights on, it was still running. So we went to the dishwasher, right? And so that night, I mean, the dishwasher went out. We went to Lowe's. The, the dishwasher is a very important cog in our organization. So we went to Lowe's. We took the kids. They should have been doing their homework. Everybody had a long day, and all of a sudden, we're at Lowe's. And now you may go to Lowe's on Saturday, and it's all sunshine and fun and everything, but Lowe's on Monday night is terrible. There's just, I don't know, there's just three lonely guys walking around. You know, I don't even know 
while they're there. And there's nothing exciting about buying a dishwasher. Like a lawnmower, that's exciting. You know, if I was gonna buy a circular saw, even though I wouldn't know what to do with it, I would call one of my buddies and be like, hey, I'm gonna get a circular saw down at Lowe's, man. You want? And, but a dishwasher, no. But the guy selling the dishwasher, he's trying to make it exciting. And so, he, like, he, I, he told me this thing. They all look the same to me. And he's like, but this one here, sir, it has a stainless steel interior. You understand that's going to keep the heat in. I want to grab his shirt and say, I don't care. I'm buying a dishwasher, man. Well, then we went home, and the next morning, like in the middle of the night, early morning, middle of the night, I woke up to a smell in my house, and I followed the smell into my garage, and my golden retriever was sitting on the steps in the garage. He had been sprayed by a skunk right in the face. And so now, all of a sudden, we don't care anything about the dishwasher, the van, nothing. It's just this guy and the smell that's going everywhere. And so I get into my, my truck. Uh, I was coming here. We've been praying at 6 a.m. for the Thursday night service. If you want to join us, you can come any weekday. We're just praying at 6 a.m. And, and so I, in the dark, I'm driving in the truck. I'm like, man, that smell, it seems like it's in the truck, you know? And I got down here and Pierce is out in the lobby and I said, hey, Pierce, uh, do, I, do you smell anything? He's like, nah, man. And then he said, wait a second. And then he just kind of smelled my hoodie. He goes, oh yeah, that doesn't smell good. All that to say, I could go on. That's just like Tuesday. I just, I just got you through Tuesday morning, you know? And I know sometimes you think I'm exaggerating or getting all excited and we're talking about that you're in the middle of a battle and, uh, and that, that God will fight your, your battles for you. But I'm just saying, if you are trying to go pray at the church at 6 a.m. and you end up smelling like a skunk, you might be in a battle. Somebody might be out to get you. And if you came in here this morning, some of you, your hearts are melted. They're like water. You're barely holding it in because you're right in the middle of it. I know you're here and you're sitting in your chair upright, but you're right in the middle of it. And Joshua, who moments before in our story, we're like, whoa, he is a bad dude, man. The walls of Jericho are falling down. He is on his face before God saying, you have made a huge mistake. And this is what God tells Joshua. He says, stand up. What are you doing down I don't have the authority to say that to you, but if you want to hear that from God, this word from God, it could be for you. Stand up. What are you doing down on your face? From that moment, Joshua is led by God from this small battle with the city of Ai, one army, to a battle with five kings, five kingdoms, and five armies. You'll have to read chapter 8 and 9 to kind of catch up, but I just want to get us to chapter 10. Joshua was scared of one army and now God has moved him after getting him up. So I just want you to hear that. It may not go from like uh, this little battle to everything being good. He goes from a little battle to a huge battle. And in chapter 10, verse eight, God says to Joshua, do not be afraid of them. Now, if you've been uh, reading this story, that's exactly what God told Joshua in chapter one. Do not be afraid, remember? And then God says, I have given them into your hand. If you've been following the story, that's exactly what God told Joshua in chapter one. I'll give you every place where you set your foot. And then God says to them, not one of them will be able to withstand you. If you go back to Joshua one, you're gonna find a line that's almost just like that. It says, they will not be able to stand against you. God puts the identity back into Joshua. You're brave, you're strong, you're known, you're loved. And then he sends him into the battle. That's what we're doing here week after week after week. You know, we're putting it back in and then we have to go back into the battle. Joshua then makes an all-night march against this, uh, these five armies. They begin fighting the battle, but he notices that the other army, the five joint forces army, is falling by the wayside. 
And he realizes that it's not the swords of his men that are taking the, the, the army down, but they're actually hailstones, large hailstones coming from the heavens that are knocking these guys out. I picture Joshua, you know, leaning on his sword and thinking, God is doing exactly what he said. He is fighting the battle for us. And then Joshua does this crazy thing that most preachers skip over, and I admit that I've done it before because it's just kind of out of the box. It's hard to explain. It'd be easier just to push past it. And what it does, if we believe it, what Joshua does messes up what our usual MO is when we're in the middle of the battle because we usually forget who we are and shrink, shrink, shrink. And what Joshua does in the middle of the battle in chapter 10 blows all that away. But this is our story, so I'm not skipping it. This is what Joshua does. He asks God to make the sun stand still in the sky crazy right it appears uh, in Joshua 10 verse 12 and 13 it's in quotes if you were looking at your Bible you would see that what Joshua the prayer he praises in quotes and it's not because it's his prayer it's because it says that it comes from a place called the book of Jashar we don't really know what the book of Jashar is but most people think that it was actually an old Hebrew hymn book and so Joshua in his prayer I'm going to read it to you is actually saying the words from probably something he learned as a kid when he was in worship in the wilderness uh I'll read it to you. He says, On the day the Lord gave the Amorites over to Israel, Joshua said to the Lord in the presence of Israel, Sun, stand still over Gibeon, and you moon over the valley of Ajalon. So the sun stood still, and the moon stopped, till the nation avenged itself on the enemies, as it is written in the book of Jashar. This was this little uh, song that was given. It, was, it would be like... Um, it would be like us taking something that we sang in here, and you're taking it out into your life in the battle. You know? Like you're out in, in the world and you're like, this is how I fight my battles. Right? Or our God will fight for us. Taking what's happening in here, out there, with a belief that it could actually come true. You see, in the book of Jashar, most people think that song would just been sort of like a song, not literally asking God to make the sun stand still, but God be in charge of this. Lengthen the day, you know, let us have our way over our enemy. But Joshua, he's so, uh, he's feeling so strong and courageous that he prays it as if it's something that God can do. And the next verse in the Bible in our story says, the sun stopped in the middle of the day. All right. This is, uh, you know, one of those hard verses, you know, scholars have, I found seven different theories on what people think actually happened on the day that Joshua prayed that. Uh, there's people that think it's, you know, poetical. It's not to be understood literally. The sun standing still, many think, refers to an eclipse of the sun. There's actually Cambridge uh, researchers who have found they can date an eclipse that happened the time of Joshua in that particular place. Some say that the earth's rotation was slowed down, not stopped, so it lengthened the day by almost 24 hours. There's a theory that says the sun and moon appeared to be out of their regular place by a supernaturally placed mirage. There's all these theories. There's even one. There's one more, and it's this one. It says the it says that the earth actually stopped its rotation around the sun for almost 24 hours because Joshua asked God to do it. That's the one I believe. But I'm not gonna preach all morning about that. Not because it's not interesting, not because the Bible and science aren't connected, but because it's not what the Bible points out as being the most remarkable thing that happened that day. The most remarkable thing that happened that day was not the sun standing still according to the story, but that God listened to Joshua. Oh boy. Let me read these verses to you. Verse 13, the sun stopped in the middle of the sky and delayed going down about a full day. And there has never been a day like it before or since, a day when the Lord listened to a human being. Surely the Lord was fighting for Israel. A remarkable thing 
was that God heard what Joshua was saying. In the middle of the battle, look for what only God can do. So often we begin looking at ourselves and thinking, I can't do this. I'm not really brave. I'm not really strong. And then we begin to shrink down the vision because of that. What Joshua did is he began to look for what is something in the midst of this that only God could do. In the middle of the battle, we are to boldly make requests of God. This is the amazing thing to me that Joshua sees hailstones hitting his enemies and he goes for more. Like how many of us would have just been good with hailstones? If you keep reading, the fight continues. He has to take out the five kings. Joshua's life is a fight. Joshua's life is a battle. But in the middle of it, he notes what God is up to and then he asks for more. And I think this is why we sometimes skip it or I do because it feels just like too much to be asking for God to stop the sun in the sky when he's already sending hailstones. But Joshua has realized what kind of story he's in. He's in a story where miraculous things happen. He begins to live into that story. He thinks if God can split the sea and God can make the walls of Jericho come down, God can stop the sun. And I wonder, when did we stop being so bold? People got on to Martin Luther King Jr. for the same thing. We'll be remembering him and celebrating his, his life and his influence this weekend. Martin Luther King Jr. was making lots of progress. Things were happening that had never happened before in race relations in our country. A lot of change. And you know what people said to him? You read his autobiography? Uh, people told him, slow down. Relax, Martin. You made a good step, but why are you going for that? But once Martin saw what God was up to, he didn't ease off the gas. In his most famous speech, Uh, This part is not always lifted up. He says, we can never be satisfied as long as our bodies, heavy with the fatigue of travel, cannot gain lodging in the motels of the highways. We cannot be satisfied as long as the Negro's basic mobility is from a smaller ghetto to a larger one. We can never be satisfied as long as our children are stripped of their adulthood and robbed of their dignity. He's saying we can't be satisfied, but what he pushes towards, he says, no, we are not satisfied and will not be satisfied until justice rolls down like waters and righteousness like a mighty stream. What Martin is pushing for is a vision of something that only God can do. The famous part of that uh, speech, as you know, is he's talking about, I have a dream. And you've heard, he says, I have a dream that one day the Red Hills of of Georgia, their sons of former slaves and sons of former slave owners will sit down at the same table of brotherhood. He says, I have a dream for my four little children that will one day live in a nation where they're not judged by the color of their skin, but by the content of their character. But he pushes further than that in that speech. And he says, I have a dream that one day the glory of the Lord will be revealed in this country. You see, you see, like, he's seeing amazing things happen, but he's pushing for more. He was in the middle of the battle and boldly asking of God, how could he do that? He knew who he was. And he knew that he couldn't shrink the vision. The story of the brave, strong, known, and loved asks for crazy things, even when great things are already happening. Back in early March, I mean, excuse me, back in early October, uh, Pastor Mark and I were called on a Wednesday. Uh, we were in the middle of our staff meeting. It was the mother of one of our church members uh, and this family, this couple had just had a little baby. His name was Wyatt. And Wyatt weighed, uh, at the time, one pound, 14 ounces. That particular day, uh, his organs were shutting down. His kidneys had stopped. And so they called and asked us to come. It was a hard day. Mark and I drove to the hospital. We met with Wyatt's parents. We heard of his condition, and it wasn't good. Uh, if his kidneys, which had been shut down for over 30 hours, didn't start, we would lose him. And in the little uh, kind of snack area of, of that area where the ICU is for babies, uh, his mom asked us if we would baptize Wyatt. So Mark and I scrubbed in. They gave us this uh, tiny little syringe of sterile water. 
Mark dropped a, a little bit of the water on his tiny body and Mark began to pray. Pastor Mark is one of the most powerful men of God I've ever known, but I didn't see this coming. And in a gentle, calm way, he, he simply said this in his prayer. He said, God, I'm asking you to start Wyatt's kidneys. We were in the middle of the battle. Tears streaked down our faces. And Mark, I looked at him. I was like, what? He just asked for the sun to stop. And Wyatt's kidneys started working. They couldn't keep a dry diaper on him the next day. His mom and dad are right over here. That little guy has been in the hospital today is day 130. Today, he weighs five pounds, eight ounces. He had surgery this week. He's fighting his battle. And his story is Joshua's story. Because I had never seen a day like that before. And in the middle of the battle, we have to start believing in a day that we've never seen before. I want you to begin to imagine um, what it might mean for you to begin to, to dream of a day that you have not yet seen happen. In the middle of the battle, start believing in a day you have never seen before. The people in the scripture says, we've never seen this day before, not because the sun stopped, but because the God who can part the seas and make the walls fall is listening to us. As Mark, uh, Mark shared Wyatt's story here with you guys before, and as we said before, we've prayed for babies, we've prayed for lots of people where our prayers were not answered. I'm sharing the story today, today one, because it's true, uh, two, because it's ours to tell, and three, this is the main reason, because I believe in Jesus, and his story says that he died on the cross, he was in the grave, and he walked out of it. And that, my friends, was a day like never before. And I am banking everything on that God. Not the one that I have made small, but the one of our story. Yesterday, I preached the uh, funeral service for one of my childhood friends who died at the age of 38, the mother of three children. I'm not trying to sugarcoat things to say that we aren't in a real battle where things don't always go the way that we think that they should go. But after crying my eyes out that morning, I preached her service, I hope, with hope and joy because I believe in a day that I have never seen before. I believe that there's things coming that we haven't yet seen because of the God that we follow. And I think it's time for us to claim our story, not come and just inhabit a room for an hour, but to start believing in days that we haven't seen yet. That's what Dr. King was doing. He was putting out a dream there in front of us. It cost him his life. And God made us the people of a dream. I think that we need to stop squandering uh, the, the, the magnitude of what God has before us. Stop squandering in our bickering and our busyness and our betrayals and our sin. We were made to sing the songs of our faith. Faith of a God who can do anything. So, I don't want to make God fit into my plans anymore. This is this little mantra I'm just kind of been saying over and over this week. I don't want to make God fit into my plans anymore. I don't want to shrink the vision just because I'm tired today. I don't want to reduce God to something that makes sense in my mind. If he can stop the sun in the sky, I don't want to live a life where I only see the battle and don't look for the glory of the Lord. I don't want to sell God short anymore. <laughs> the story that we're in says our God can stop the sun in the sky and there's nobody else who can do that. The story that we're in says that our God has the power to delay a day if he wants to, and we will see his greatness. 
I want to see his greatness. And so I want to invite you just to, to pray a prayer this morning in your own heart and quiet. I'm going to ask Jenny to come and just play so we can have a few minutes of quiet here together. Here's the questions I want you to ponder. What do you need God to do? What would you boldly ask of God today if you just pulled back all of your fear, all the shrinking of the vision and said, I'm going to boldly ask God for this. And what do you need, uh, what new day do you need to start believing in? For some of us, it may be a day you never even imagined. A day that this would happen, a day that God would do this, a a day that God would meet you in this place. In the middle of the battle, start believing in a day you have never seen before. Let's pray. Let's just turn our hearts towards God and begin to to boldly ask him, like Joshua's, to sing our song to a God we believe in. Let's pray together. this is how we fight our battles before you in prayer before you in praise believing bringing our doubt before you bringing our grief before you we pray that you would help us to see those things that only only you can do to ask for it to seek you to trust you sometimes we feel like we've been walking around the walls Four days, five days, six days, seven days, waiting for them to fall. We'll keep going, God. We will keep going because we believe in you. As we come to communion, we remember our Savior, our Lord Jesus Christ, whose life and death and resurrection have made a way for us. We remember his broken body, broken for us in this bread. Let this bread be for us the body of Christ. We remember his, his blood shed for us to forgive us, to forgive us of our sins cleanse us of of our unrighteousness. Make us right in your eyes. So let this simple act of communion, dipping a piece of bread and the juice and eat it, be in a way for us to receive to receive life and to receive Jesus. It's in his name we pray.